Welcome to Sermons of Grace with Pastor David Murphy of the Grace Baptist Church in Gambles Terrace, Antigua. Last week in our study of the Book of Romans, Chapter 12, Pastor Murphy showed us that a Christian's response towards difficult circumstances should be patience. Today, we'll see practical principles to help the believer be patient during trials and tribulations. All right, turn your Bibles with me, please, to the book of Romans, chapter 12. Romans, chapter 12. Read them for verse number 9. Romans 12, reading from verse number 9 and following. He said, Let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good. Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love and honor, preferring one another. Not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer. Distributing to the necessity of the saints, given to hospitality. Bless them which persecute you, bless and curse not. Rejoice with them that do rejoice, and weep with them that weep. Be of the same mind one towards another. Mind not earthly things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. We return to our text, which is verse number 12. Rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer. Let's have a brief prayer and ask the Lord to help us this morning as we focus on our text. Our great God and our Father, we meet here in honor of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and in obedience to your word. We ask as we meet that you would meet with us through the agency of your Holy Spirit who indwells the believer and who is in our midst. We ask for your blessing upon your people and upon your word. We pray, Lord, that the time we spend here this morning uh, dealing with Scripture, exposing the truth that is within Scripture, would be proven to be profitable to those who sit here before your word this morning. Take away all distractions, that which would deter our minds from full focus on your word, and we pray that we this morning would make this time a time that belongs to you. We have seven days in a week, six belong to us, one is supposed to be devoted to you. And it would be great robbery for us uh, to steal even that time that belongs to you by engaging our minds with things that are not pertaining to you. So I asked you this morning to Grant that we would be able to give our undivided attention to the word. And I pray that you might help me to be able to expose to your people what you have 
indicated that is needed this morning and that you would help me in the process to communicate that truth uh, to your people. We look to you and we look forward to your working and your blessing in our midst. We pray these mercies in Christ's name. Amen. Every Christian that is sitting here this morning, at some juncture in your life, are going to face overwhelming circumstances that will almost crush you. The reason for this is because you and I are living in a fallen world, and you and I are part of the redeemed company of faith. Because of the fallen world and because we are part of that company of faith, the fundamental reality of the Bible is that we are up against three great enemies that are seeking to destroy us. We are familiar with these enemies. One is the world, which is the external force that tries to put pressure on us to conform to its teaching and its ideology and to its philosophy. There's also the flesh, which is the internal power that inclines us towards the world. And of course, then there is the invisible foe we call Satan, who is also seeking to wreak havoc in the believer's life. These three share one common goal. And that common goal is to destroy the Christian and bring God's name into disrepute. That is the whole purpose of these three enemies that work against us as believers. Nothing gives our enemies greater delight than they can embarrass God, mock God by nullifying the Christian witness and somehow bringing this supposed power of Christ into disrepute. And the way to do that, by the way, is to causing us to fall as Christians. Let me explain what I mean by this. What is the boast of the Christian faith? What does the Bible say about the believer? What do we tell the world about the believer? Well, the Bible claims that we are the children of God. The Bible says that we are new creatures. The Bible says that we are sanctified. The Bible says that we have the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says we have the throne of grace to find help in time of, of need. The Bible says that God himself is at work in us both to will and to do his good pleasure. The Bible says that we have a new nature. The Bible says that God will never give us more than we can handle and there is always a way of escape. Those are things that the Bible affirms and we give consent to. And the Bible says that God has given to us the counsel of his word to help us as believers. But even more than this, the Bible says that we are no longer under the power of sin and sin shall not have dominion over us. Now listen to me. These are extraordinary claims. This is what we boast about. This is what we claim has happened in our lives. So we cannot in any way uh, blame the world for having high expectations of us. After all, we boast these extraordinary things about ourselves. 
And by the way, we can't offer any lame excuse to the world either when we behave and act like the world. And when the world sees us struggling with our tribulations and we begin to cower, we begin to crumble and we begin to be defeatist and, and, and many times we begin to question God, it's a slander against God that the world should see us act in this way. I am reminded of what was said of King David and uh, Lot when these men that boast to be servants of Jehovah, servants of God, I remember that when these professed men that claim to be Jehovah's servants, I remember when Nathan pointed his finger at David and said, you have caused the enemy to blaspheme. And the reason why that happened is because what David did. The, the world looked at David then and they said, but wait a minute, he claims to be the great king. He's the great psalmist of Israel. He's the great uh, leader. He talks about God more than any man in his songs. But look at him now. See? David besmirched the name of God. And he didn't do it by himself proclaiming it, but by how he lived and how he crumbled under the pressure of the flesh. What about Lot? We are told in the book of Genesis that when Lot told the people, escape, he seemed as one that mocked. And what that means is this, they only had contempt and scorn for a man who had lived among us, tolerated all the evil he saw around him, got rich in the process, became a leader at the gate, and never once protested about the lifestyle in Sodom and Gomorrah. So when you're now telling me escape, God is going to judge, I don't take you seriously. The pressure of the world is what shaped Lot and silenced Lot. And therefore, he lost his testimony and he brought the name of God into disrepute because nobody took him seriously about any God is going to judge anybody uh, whatsoever. So the flesh conquered David, the world neutralized Lot. But behind the world and the flesh, you can mark your market down. There was also the third enemy using these tools. To bring David down and to bring Lot down as well. These are the weapons that we're up against as believers. And therefore, it is wise counsel that the Apostle Paul is very conscious as it comes to the end of this chapter. He recognizes that believers, like all believers of all time, are going to come into circumstances that are pressing them down, overwhelming them, and causing them maybe even to, to crumble. And therefore, Paul is offering wise counsel as to how the believer should respond to these overwhelming circumstances. He said, number one, you've got to have hope in Christ. You've got to keep your focus on Christ. When these things come your way and your focus is not on Christ, you're going to crumble. Keep that optimism. Keep that that heavenly vision, as it were. Think of things above. Have your mind thinking of things above. 
Secondly, he says to them, you're going to have to learn to be patient when you're going through this time of tribulation. And then thirdly, he's going to say, you're going to have to apply for the power of prayer to deal with these circumstances and these tribulations. These are the three great props that Paul is dealing with in this passage. Now, we've dealt already with the hope that is the believer, that the believer should keep his mind focused on. And we have dealt partially with the second aspect, dealing with being patient in tribulation. And I said, uh, did three things uh, when I dealt with this matter of patience and tribulation. First of all, I, I mentioned to you the danger of impatience. And I was able to cite from the life of some of the Old Testament characters that they crumbled under impatience. And because of that, their life became a catastrophe. Some of them, the results even continuing today. Impatience. They were under pressure. And because they were under pressure and didn't have patience, everything crumbled. And they made massive mistakes in their lives that have repercussions that continue even to this day. And that is why I mentioned to you the danger of uh, impatience. Secondly, I dealt with the definition of these terms. We looked at what patient is in Scripture and what tribulation refers to in Scripture. Virtually, Tribulation is pressure. I don't know if you know this, but uh, the, the word that we use for tribulation comes from the word tribulum. And the tribulum was a stone that would take corn and would uh, grind the corn, the tribulum, to get the wheat for the chaff. That's the tribulum. That's where you get the word tribulation. It is tremendous pressure that is brought upon the life. And that's what Paul, and then the word patient has to do with holding up under the pressure. Not giving in, not yielding, not surrendering, not running, but holding up under the pressure. See? I want to make it very clear that we don't run away from our problems. We don't run away from trials that we face in life. They have a purpose that God has designed for them. And therefore, we must learn to bear up under, even under pressure, etc. And then the third thing I did last week, they gave you the details of the description of Paul. And the trials that this man went through uh, that he mentions. And what an incredible profile he gives us in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Where we see this man going through pressure, pain, persecutions, privations and all kinds of problems. The list is so grand and so great that one wonders, was he exaggerating? Could any one man have endured what this man went through? But the only reason I mentioned uh, this, give you this uh, description of the Apostle Paul, these details, is because I wanted to reassure you that this is not an armchair theologian telling you to, to endure patience. Here's a veteran who has been in the foxholes of warfare and understand the trials that we face in life. And therefore, he has the wisdom and he has the right to tell the believer how we need to deal with this matter of tribulation. By the way, I, I'm not too sure if you remember this, but you remember when the Lord uh, knocked Paul down on the Damascus Road and sent him to his knees and to the point where he said, Who art thou, Lord? And he said, I'm Jesus whom thou persecutest. You remember that? But remember he sent Ananias to go to Paul 
And remember, Ananias was fearful. They've told me many things about this man. How can I go? And then the Lord said, you go to him. And, and this is what the Lord said. I want you to tell him, I will show him what great things he must suffer for my namesake. It was part of his Christianity. It was part of his, his, his faith. When he came to faith in Christ, he came with the understanding that persecution and tribulation was part of the parcel. It was part of the package. And that is why uh, he mentions this so much in his writings. You know, one of the great paradoxical paradoxes of the Christian life is that when God would use a man greatly, he never gives him a comfortable existence. It's always a life of trial and testing. This is how God operates. You don't become a stronger Christian uh, by a lifestyle of comfort and ease and a problem-free life. You never become a strong Christian until you go through the storms and the trials and the tornadoes of this life. It is this that builds your character and molds you and shapes you. But you have to exercise patience and let patience have its perfect work. And this is why Paul is saying to these believers, you've got to address this problem of patience in your life when it comes to tribulation. I would challenge you this morning to go through the Bible, whether it be the Old Testament or the New Testament, or go through the annals of church history and find me one man that God used greatly that did not have a life of trials and affliction. Whether that be Job or Joseph or Daniel or Moses or David, whether that be Jeremiah or Paul, or whether that be Luther or Tyndale or Swingley or Wycliffe or Livingston or Hudson Taylor or Adoniram Judson. They all were used greatly of God. But read their biography and you will not believe that they experienced such trials and testings in their lives. Yet we want to be used greatly of God. Yet we want to be considered to be great saints. And yet we withdraw ourselves from trials that come and we can barely bear the little ones we have without complaining or calling Susie on the phone or, 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 or Robert on the phone or Bill on the phone. And We don't do these things with reference to God. What he's doing. What we want is somebody to release us from these problems. And the Apostle Paul is making it very, very clear that you're going to face these overwhelming circumstances in life. But the three things God has given to you, you're going to have to utilize these things. Keep your hope on Jesus Christ. He can come any, any day. Uh, be very patient with these things because God is doing something. He's molding you. He's shaping you. And then, of course, you need the power of prayer, which is the third part. He's not saying to just use one of these or two of these. These are three, you know, if you've got a, a two-legged stool, it can never stand up properly. You need a three-legged stool. See? And that's why you have these three principles that Paul gives you here in this uh, passage. Now, the challenge I have to give you this morning is how do I encourage you or incentivize you to adopt this perspective that Paul gives us here in this chapter? What, what, what can we do to incentivize you to understand that you need to be patient 
in tribulation. You know, everything rests on perspective. When Peter walked in the water during the storm, he was able to do so because he, caught, he kept his eyes on Christ. When Peter sank, it's because he took his eyes from Christ and put it on the storm. Everything is about perspective. Everything is about perspective. Perspective changes everything. So when you come to a passage like this, the only way to help you as a believer to be encourage you and incentivize you to adopt this attitude of being patient with tribulation is to understand and have a, the right perspective of these things. What is tribulation doing? See, I want to suggest to you this morning uh, and give you four very practical principles that should help you uh, to be more patient with what you're going through. And by the way, I don't know what you're going through right now. I, that's it. I, read, I, uh, I heard Lenius's letter being read there, and I was wondering what world is he living in? Honestly, I mean, uh, I cannot envisage the dire situation that that country finds itself in. Uh, I am trying to figure out what world is he talking about. I mean, and I don't doubt what he's saying, by the way. It just has just woke me up to the fact that their situation is far worse than ours. Far worse. You listen to people on the radio think that Antigua is in the worst crisis. No, I'm serious. You think it's the worst country in the Caribbean? Then you read a letter like that and you realize, wait a minute, wait a minute. That's the other side. So I, I just want to say perspective of everything. And I want to say that when it comes to this matter of being patient in tribulation, I think one thing that would help you very much this morning is if you do that, the right perspective of tribulation. One of the things I think would help you as a Christian is that you need to, first of all, expect as a Christian to face tribulation. We ought not to be surprised as believers that we are going to encounter troubles and trials and testings and we're going to have dumb times in our life. We ought not to be surprised about that. But you know what? I think a lot of people, a lot of people, what gets them down is that they're never prepared, they never anticipate when things happen. They don't live with the perspective, I should expect this to happen. I should anticipate I'm going to have problems in life. And the reason for that is they have a false idea about salvation. They have a kind of a romantic, unrealistic view that is totally unbiblical. The mystical thinking of the modern Christian is this. Serving God should make my life easier, not harder. That's how people think of the Christian faith. And by the way, if I even put it this way, a lot of what is being preached today in relation to the gospel is nothing but humanistic psychology masquerading as Christianity. So when people are being told you must come to God because when you come to God, these are the goodies you're going to get. I've mentioned them already. Health, wealth, uh, success. 
When you get these things come to God, this is what you're going to get. And there are people who are coming into the kingdom with this false expectation. So when they meet problems in life, as a matter of fact, I would say this to you. You never know problems until you become a Christian. I can just study from my own experience. See? The guys that you ran with and did things with, the moment you tell them that you're saved, they put a timeline on how long you'll be a Christian. And they make fun of you. I remember when I was in school, I must say this, I got saved when I was still in high school. And uh, I would never forget this. I, for the time I got saved, I used to use, have Bible club in, in, in the school. I, would, uh, I, I went to the pr teach principal and asked him, you know, can I have a Bible club? So I would eat my lunch in like 10 minutes, and then I would have a Bible club in one of the classrooms. And I remember when the exam signs was coming around, I was still having the classroom Bible club, and some people would tell me, you play your little Jesus, wait until the exams come out, see what your results are going to look like. I'm serious. That's what happens to us as believers. We need to understand and we need to expect that these trials are going to come. And uh, we need to be very clear in our minds that the modern gospel that is being preached to people on the outside is not the gospel that we find in the Bible. It's a false gospel altogether. It needs to be abominated once and for all. You know why people should want to come to Christ? Let me tell you why. They should be under such a burden of their sin and the fact that they are damned to eternity. That's what they should want. Not because I tell them that God has a, a, a purpose for your life. You don't tell an unsafe person that. What you tell him is under the guilt before God. He's under the weight of his sin. The wrath of God abides on his head. Get him to feel some kind of guilt. Be burdened by his guilt. So he wants release from that burden. You remember Christian in Pilgrim's Progress? Before he became a Christian, he had this tremendous weight carrying on in his back. We don't see that any longer. That's not the Christianity we think about today. But it was the burden of the guilt upon Christian that led him to the cross. And when he came to the cross, you remember the, the burden fell off and rolled back. And went into the empty tomb. Speaking of Christ's resurrection. You remember when his mother, when his wife and his children said, come back, come back, come back. You remember what Christian did? He put his finger in his ears and said, salvation, salvation. That is what genuine Christianity is all about. What we have is something very fake. Pop psychology, we, pack, we package and masquerading as the gospel but it's only a false gospel. And many entered the kingdom and they're not prepared because they weren't prepared to expect these things when they became Christians. Tribulation should not depress us, it should not defeat us, it should not discourage us, and it should not destroy us because one of the surest things that are taught in the Bible is that it is part and parcel of coming to the Christian and having the Christian faith. We are repeatedly warned in Scripture that this is going to happen to us. 
By the way, I never believe people who witnessed to me and made, made, made uh, salvation look as though it was, I was going directly into heaven. Never believe those kind of people. Right? I knew one thing. If the world rejected Christ, it would also reject me. If he had problems, I would have problems. I knew that. So I never took anybody seriously who came to me and gave me any sweet talk about coming into the Christian faith and you're, not, you're going to have a problem-free life and it's going to be so much better. Never took that person seriously because that is not the gospel. Our Lord himself said in the world you're going to have tribulation. Paul says all that will live godly will suffer persecution. And in Acts chapter 14, I want you to turn there with me for just a moment because this is how you do missionary work. Look at Acts chapter 14. Now remember, this is the, the Apostle Paul is a missionary. He's, he's going around preaching the gospel. He's getting people saved. But what a way to encourage believers. Look how he encouraged them in, first, in Acts chapter 14, verse 22. He said in verse 21, And when they had preached the gospel in that city and had taught many, they returned again to Lystra and Iconium and Antioch. Notice that confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith that we must through much what? Tribulation into the kingdom. These are young believers. But Paul doesn't give them some kind of problem. Paul gives them something very realistic. You've come into the faith. You're now in the church. Here's what to expect. Tribulation. Much tribulation. So I'm saying to you as a believer, one thing would help you to adopt this patient attitude towards tribulation is to understand that it is a normal part of being a Christian. What you see on television is fake. I repeat, it is fake. It's not real. If you don't understand that, you will be deceived as well. And you will have the same false expectations that are going to disappoint you. See it for what it is. Let the scales be removed from your eyes. Let the chapel of God's word take away that binder between you and reality. Maybe you have spiritual cataracts and you need the incisive sword of the word to remove that so you can see better. I'm saying to you this morning that the Bible is very, very clear on this matter. And one of the things that will help you as a believer as you face these problems in life is that you need to understand it is part of being a Christian. I would say this, by the way. If you claim to be a Christian and you don't experience any problems, I think we're in the wrong boat. Honest to God, I think, we're in the, I think you're in the wrong boat. You're in the wrong boat. You think you're in the end, but you're not in, you're out. See? It is part of what we as Christians are going to encounter and experience. You know, the Apostle Paul makes an amazing statement in the book of Corinthians chapter 12, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Remember that Paul was under the pressure of a thorn in his flesh? He didn't feel he could function and minister as effectively having this, this, this thing in his, his life. He just 
wish somehow, God, I, I, can, I can function much better if you take this thing out of my life. No, we don't know what it is. Most people believe it was the fact that he had problems with his eyes. Remember, he got blinded in the road to Damascus. And of course, when he's writing the book of Galatians, he said, you see, with what large letters I wrote this epistle. And he had to use an Emmanuel, a secretary, to write his other epistles. So the people who believe that here's a man trying to preach the gospel, a man who's doing writing of epistles, and he has a, a tremendous problem to see how can he function. That is what most people believe. It had to do with his eyes. And we can see why in the Damascus Road, the blinding sun of the, the glory of Christ sent him to his knees. And he had to recover after a period of time. But we don't know. But one thing is that he's under the immense pressure. He wants relief. Who doesn't want relief when you're under pressure? Tell me who doesn't want that. But then Paul said, I know one thing. That God's strength is made perfect in my weakness. See? That's the tremendous thing that Paul learned. He said, most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distress. For when I am weak, then am I strong. In other words, Paul saw that the tribulations of life enabled God to demonstrate his power. Before people. When do you think, when, 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 let me ask you a question. When do you think that people see a Christian is strong? When do you really know a Christian is strong? Seriously, when, when do you ever, say, well, they're a strong Christian. When do you ever say that? I would say one thing is never when everything is going his way or her way. We never say that's a strong Christian. It is when we see a believer struggling and we ourselves ask the question, but how does he do it? How does she endure it? It's then we begin to see true spirituality come into light. And we marvel. As a matter of fact, now we, what we sometimes wish when we see the believer deal with that, we wish that we had the strength to go through what they're going through because they have become giants in our eyes. And we diminish in our own sight, when we be very, very conscious that we're not as strong as that person. What a marvelous person that is because they're strong. And it's never because they're going through good times or times of blessing or times of favor. It is always during difficult, harsh times that you and I don't even think we can endure that or bear up under that kind of way. It's then we see spiritual strength. See? And that's why Paul said, I take pleasure in these things. Why? Because when I am weak, then I am strong. It gives Christ the ability to manifest his power in our lives. And Paul said, you know what? That's what I want people to see. My weakness and God's power. That's what I want people to see. Because that is where God becomes magnified in our lives. So I think that is one of the great principles that will help you as a believer to, to have this patient attitude in tribulation. Just anticipate that this is a normal part of our Christian lives. It's not something strange or unusual. We should never be surprised when it happens. We got three great enemies always seeking to bring us down. And remember what the Bible said in Peter? The devil like a roaring lion does what? Walk about seeking whom he may devour. 
never content to rest, always seeking to bring the believer down. And of course, we'll never be out of, under the influence of the world because we are surrounded by the world who seeks to engulf us and embrace us. And don't forget, your greatest enemy is neither the world nor the devil, is that flesh within you. That flesh within you that always wants to have its needs met. And sometimes those needs are very illegitimate. See? That's your greatest enemy. The second thing I would suggest to you that will help you as a believer to adopt this attitude of being patient in tribulation is what I say, dignify your tribulation. What do I mean by that? I mean this. When you are going through times of trials and persecutions and testing in your life, the very thing that you must begin to do as a believer is to try to see that what is happening to you is what has happened to your Lord. I repeat that. Nothing different is happening to us that didn't happen to him. Nothing we will encounter that he did not encounter. He was in all points tempted like as we are. When we take that into perspective and we begin to reason that way, hey, I am sharing in the tribulations of our Lord. I'm experiencing what he experienced. You remember what Paul says? That I may know him and the power of his resurrection, being made conformable unto his death. He wanted to enjoy the sufferings of Christ. Identify with his suffering. I... I'm dealing with a, I'm going to be very careful, but I'm dealing with a, a, a marriage couple that are having tremendous problems in their marriage. Tremendous problems. Uh, when I listen to the story and sit down to the story, I almost want to cry. I really almost want to cry. I, I, I found it so difficult to believe that these things were happening. And I was saying to my mind, you know, what, how can I console this person? What, what, what can I tell this person? And I, I, got, I, I was going to bring my cell phone uh, and read off what I wrote her. Because I sat down one day with my cell phone. And I said, this person needs help. I mean, I got to encourage them somewhere. And you know what I basically said to that person? I said, listen, what you're going through now, pain, isolation, loneliness, uh, there are some other things as well, abuse. I said, there's nothing that you're going to face in life that your Lord didn't face. I said, was he abused? I put those questions. Think, was he abused? Was he ever abandoned? Was he ever separated? Was he ever ill-treated? I said, this is the moment in your life where you can now identify in the sufferings of Christ and it will bore your spirit and enable you to endure what you're enduring. That's how Paul looked at it. You love him more if you understand the fullness of the pain that he went through for you. And sometimes that's what you need to, that's how you dignify your tribulations. See? You dignify it by putting yourself in Christ's position, seeing what he went through, seeing what he endured, seeing what he faced, and understand what pain he suffered for us. And that endears him to you in ways that no other way can. And that's what I mean by dignifying 
your tribulation. So are you betrayed? Are you insulted? Have you ever been misunderstood? Are you being abused? Has somebody misrepresented and told lies upon you? Have you been slandered? Has your trust been broken? Are you facing some kind of rejection? Every one of those things I just listed, he faced. And more, he faced. That's how you dignify your tribulations. You remember what he said to us in John chapter 15, verse 18, if the world hated you, you know it hated me before hate hated you, and therefore you should expect it to happen. The same hate he faced, the same hate you're going to face. The tribulations you have in life, tribulations that he had in life as well, and you dignify that. The fellowship of Paul said of his sufferings. Be sure you join us again next time here on Sermons of Grace as Pastor Murphy shows us three more principles to help a believer be patient during trials and tribulations. If you'd like to contact Pastor David Murphy or Grace Baptist Church, please call 268-462-4230 or visit during one of their service times. Sunday school is at 9 a.m., Sunday morning at 10 a.m., Sunday evening at 7 p.m., or Thursday evenings at 7 p.m. Grace Baptist Church is located on Rowan Henry Street in Gambles Terrace, Antigua.